One other thing I, I, I should probably clue you in on. Um, Riley reads and, and Colleen read the, the, uh, the call to worship and the benediction. And in case you hadn't caught it, um, so we're, we're going through Galatians, we're learning about the Apostle Paul, a lot about the Apostle Paul. And so um, what I've been inflicting on all of you um, is the, the greeting and the benediction to each of Paul's letters. And so we're, we're about two-thirds of the way through, but Galatians is coming to a close, so that's, that's all going to stop. I'll pick up the rest here some, at some point and inflict the rest on you as well. But it means we're learning about who Paul is and, and how this works and what's going on. And the other thing I need to tell all of you is um, most of what you're going to hear today comes out of my book on Galatians. Oh, by Riken. And so you're, you're going to be getting quite a bit out of this one today. Um, the last thing I need to talk about, um, we stopped at Hobby Lobby. They have the shoe boxes from Samaritan's Purse. Um, I think it was two years ago, Leanne and I were dropping off the, the, the shoe boxes and the labels on there for boy or girl and what the age group is. And um, you can get the, the, their suggested things of, of uh, what they'd like to see in, in the shoe boxes for, as gifts for these kids. That, um, um, the, the, there was a young lady who was hauling boxes and, and people were just dumping them off by, you know, I mean, there were hundreds of shoe boxes. And this young lady, um, she was probably in high school. She might have been a college student. But um, it turns out her dad was the CEO of Samaritan's Purse. And um, she was just throwing shoe boxes around like, you know, as fast as they could pack them in the truck. So uh, we, we stood there and talked with her for a little bit. And it was, it was pretty pretty awesome the things that they were doing and, and the things that they had seen um, in all the places that they were going to pick up shoe boxes. So uh, there's a few of these extra, I, or are they already gone? Um, please grab one, um, one per family. And um, Hobby Lobby has the shoe boxes if you want to go down and, and get one. Okay. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Galatians 5. We're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 16 to 25. Um, I meant at some point to do this earlier, but I, I guess now is as good a time as any. We can think of Paul's letter to the church of Galatia as in, in three parts. And you're all familiar that three is, is one of those sacred numbers that, that many of these things are written in for obvious reasons. Three and seven, and sometimes 12. But um, the three parts can be thought of that of biography of the Apostle Paul, of theology, how Christians should believe, and the Christian practice, in other words, the, the ethics that go along with it. So chapters 1 and 2 were the historical overview of Paul's background and his journey to becoming to an apostle. 
called by Jesus to spread the word of the gospel. Chapters 3 and 4 of the Galatians, in the epistle to the Galatians, were an exposition on the theology of the Christian church. This is Paul standing up and saying, this is what we believe. And it is an expose of what we, as Christians, should be and what we should not believe. And then beginning with chapter 5, and we've been going through this, is Paul explaining what it is to be a Christian, the Christian walk and ethics in practice. Um, the Christian life may be a race, but it's not a sprint. Okay, You can think of it more as like a marathon. So I, sometimes we get all excited about something. And we run around like a crazy person about that one particular thing. Well, I do, okay? Um, you can ask my wife about what happens when I get excited about something. Um, and and uh, it, it, some of my friends have seen this too, right? I, I start running around like a crazy person. And it's like, calm down. This too shall pass. So we need to think of the Christian walk as more like a marathon. So let's read the passage. We're in Galatians 5, and we're going to do chap uh, verses 16 to 26. Galatians 5, 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you, Lord, for such an incredible day for us to come together the changing of the seasons and just the amazing weather that we've had lately, the snowfall and the amazing sunsets. Heavenly Father, we look up to this amazing place that you've created for us to live, this universe, and we thank you for that as another blessing that comes down to us. Heavenly Father, your Son, is the greatest blessing of all, by far. How he came down and became the bridge 
to build between where we live and to where you are, the throne room. Heavenly Father, tear open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes as we look here at the words of the Apostle Paul trying to teach us something about Jesus, about what we need to know about who you are and who your son is and what he did for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this. We bring glory and honor to you. Let us not put anything before you. Give us that understanding, Lord, we ask this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. So we're beginning with Galatians 5, verse 16. And Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's an interesting piece here about freedom and how freedom fits into all of this. We have, at one extreme, we have the law. And at the other extreme, there's something else. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Freedom is defined and we understand what that, that definition is in our minds. We would recognize what freedom looks like. But an excess of freedom, where freedom an abuse of freedom comes out, and that is described as the word license. There's a definition for license, a liberty of action, especially when excessive, disregard of the law, of propriety. It's an abuse of freedom. Legalism demands responsibility, but without freedom. License grants freedom, but without responsibility. Everybody wants to be free. Americans, it's a big deal to us. We say things like, it's a free country. And we have a free market economy. We enjoy free trade free enterprise. People want to have a free hand, a free reign, and a free lunch. Right? And then there are the four famous freedoms enunciated by Franklin Roosevelt. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. The trouble comes whenever and wherever there's freedom without responsibility. And this, unfortunately, is what most of our society wants. They talk about their freedoms and their rights, but they don't talk about their responsibilities that go along with that. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, 
and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The only way to be free from fleshly desires to be sanctified by God's Spirit. The Lord's influence alone can prevent liberty from degenerating into license. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a snippet out of 2 Corinthians 3.17. 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's the third member of the Trinity the Holy Spirit. And we could think of that as being the free spirit. It helps us hold on to our liberty without becoming either legalistic on one side or licentious on the other. Paul says here, and he opens this passage with walk by the Spirit. And he closes this passage with walk by the Spirit. The Greek word for walk, by the way, here is peripateo. It's interesting that Aristotle's philosophy students were called the peripatetic school because their teacher typically taught them while he was walking. I was, when I first encountered that, I thought, isn't that exactly what Jesus did as well? as he walked amongst the hills in Judea from town to town, being followed by his disciples, many of whom became his apostles. The way to learn the Christian life is to walk with the Holy Spirit every day, to order our lives according to the direction and the motion of the Spirit. Verse 18. Paul says something very unique here. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is interesting. Charles Spurgeon wrote down, What is God's law now? It is not above a Christian. It is under the Christian. Listen to this. This is really good. Some men hold God's law like a rod in terror over Christians and say, if you sin, you will be punished for this. It is not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. We are not under the law, but under grace. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us nor the spirit that activates us. The law is good and excellent, kept in its place. I thought that was a great explanation of how we should view the law, that it is, in fact, a guidepost for us. Verses 19 to 21. And the reason this is all lumped together right here, you'll see immediately, is this is the long list of the works of the flesh from Paul. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Idolatry is one that we probably fall into the most. It's so easy for us to try and put something before God. It means the worship of other gods. It's the quest to find our identity and security in anything or anyone besides the one true God. When we drive through the mountains here locally, many of you are aware of this. As you drive, you'll notice that there are many, many trees that are brown and dead. Those trees, many of them bare of any leaves, they don't flower anymore and they don't have any sort of fruit. They are truly dead. And this is a great image of what Paul is trying to give us about each of ourselves. That those things that are dead do not have this ability to produce fruit. The contrast here between a dead tree and a live tree is absolute. And it is the same difference between life and death. For us. Paul has already told us that our, our flesh and our spirit are locked in mortal combat. The word for enmity is closely related to the Greek word for enemy. They have the same root. This form of hatred includes any kind of political, racial, or religious hostility, whether public or private. Strife is a rivalry or discord which comes from a quarrelsome spirit. And jealousy is the wrong kind of zeal, such as Paul had before he became a Christian. And it often leads to fits of anger, rage-filled outbursts that come from having a bad temper. Going back to Aristotle for a moment, Aristotle compared this term to dogs that bark if there is but a knock at the door before going to look and see if it is a friend or not. I thought that was a good one. Rebecca, our daughter-in-law, has a dog that barks whenever there's a knock at the door. So we, bark, we knock at the door and we can hear her barking even before we turn the handle. The sinful nature produces a seemingly endless variety of sins. People want to get ahead at the expense of others, so they are guilty of rivalries. Others take sides, causing dissensions and divisions. 
The English word for heresy comes from the Greek term for division. When Leanne and I go for walks in the evening, there's a, a family that lives about halfway down on 52nd from where we're at. And um, they have two little girls, and they have this huge dog that they name Minnie. It's a, it, it's a pretty good joke. The dog is Mastiff, so not a little dog. And, uh, but their church just split, and it's, it's very difficult on them. You can see it just in their behavior when you talk to them, that this has caused a great deal of, of sadness in their church. And the split they're having is not over anything theological or it, it, it's something that has to do with everyday life right now. And if you're going to split over something, you know, at least make it worth what, you're, what you understand or what you don't understand. And it's very sad to see what it's, it's done to this particular church family. Continuing on, Paul gives us a second list. Shorter, but much more positive. Verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I have that, those two verses underlined in my Bible. That was a really great list, I thought. What does it mean in practical terms to serve one another in love? Martin Luther gave us a short snippet here. It means performing unimportant works such as the following. Teaching the erring comforting the afflicted, encouraging the weak, helping the neighbor in whatever way one can, bearing with his rude manners and impoliteness, putting up with his annoyances, labors, and the ingratitude and contempt of men in both the church and the state, obeying the magistrates, treating one's parents with respect, being patient in the home when others at home are cranky or unmanageable and the like. This was the list that was put together by Martin Luther. There was a pastor, Donald Hagner, wrote this down. Here's a paradox again in its fullness. We are set free from the law in order to produce a righteousness that corresponds to the righteousness that the law demanded. This is because the teaching that serves as our guide to the righteousness, the teaching of Christ and his apostles, is in effect an exposition of the ultimate meaning of the Mosaic law. It's not the Mosaic law. It's the meaning of the Mosaic law, the ultimate meaning. The content of the law then has not fundamentally changed. It is only the dynamic, the means by which we arrive at righteousness, that differs dramatically. 
Living out the righteousness of the law does not result in a right relationship of God. Rather, being in a right relationship with God through faith in Christ results in living out the righteousness of the law. How often do we get the cart before the horse, right? I mean, right here. I am guilty of that. I'm first in line on that one. The Christian, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and not through the dynamic of his or her own efforts to be righteous, by keeping the law, manifests a life of increasing growth in righteousness. Hagner hit it right on the hit the nail right on the head with that. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Here in verse 24. J.R. Packer had an explanation of how the Spirit works. The Spirit works through means, through the objective means of grace, namely, biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, the Lord's Supper, and with them, through the subjective means of grace, whereby we open ourselves to change, Namely, thinking, listening, questioning of oneself, examining oneself, admonishing oneself, sharing is in one's heart with others, and weighing any response they make. The Spirit shows its power in us, not by constantly interrupting our use of these means with visions, impressions, or prophecies. Such communications come only rarely, and to some believers, not at all. But rather, by making these regular means effective to change us for better and for the wiser as we go along, habit-forming is the Spirit's ordinary way of leading us on in holiness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are all of them habitual. These ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. Packer, later on in the same sermon, says, Holiness by habit forming is not self-sanctification by self-effort, but is simply a matter of understanding the Spirit's method and then keeping in step with the Spirit. This is how God grows good spiritual fruit. The more we keep in step with the Holy Spirit through the Word, the sacraments, and prayer, the more fruitful we become. This passage closes. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul closes here by admonishing us not to be conceited, to not focus on self. Paul wants us to serve out of love. Verse 
Our salvation is liberty for us. And we as Christians are to live a life of liberty. There are three ways that you can think of our freedom. Christians have been set free from the law by a system of salvation. We are justified by faith in Jesus. And because of that, we are covered by grace. Two, Christians have been set free from the dominion of sin. We are supernaturally regenerate and alive before God. And this is because of our relationship with Jesus. And three, Christians are free because Christ has set us free from superstition. This includes the idea that the material world is intrinsically evil. In Genesis, we are told over and over, and God saw that it was good. All of God's gifts to us are good. And we should treat God's gifts to us as blessings and with the thanksgiving and the honor that they deserve. So often we treat God's gifts like it's a garbage dump. We forget to be thankful for what we have. Paul is showing us here the practical living out of our faith. As Paul explained to us, this sort of is a sort of sonship or daughtership. We don't do these things because we have to. We do these things because we love our Father. Next month, we're going to have our series on Advent. That's my job this week, is to try and figure out what our theme is going to be for Advent. There was something greater, something that the church had to wait for. The law was there until faith came. And we will celebrate that next month. Jesus comes and covers us with redemption and justification and love. But this is why Paul is writing to the Galatian church, to protect their understanding of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Paul guards the Galatians with great determination. And when he writes to them, he's writing to us as well. Paul is protecting the Galatians with his letter. He proclaims Christ has come. It's a new thing from the Lord. The Lord makes the paths of righteousness and justice. God is bringing in all of his church. It is only God that is wholly just, and only God that is wholly faithful. And only God knows completely the way that sin has been atoned for. We have this little tiny glimpse. The corner gets lifted just a lot, just enough for us to see and to believe. This is the message Paul is yelling at the Galatians and us about. God knows the one who can pay for all sins from eternity past through the present to eternity in the future. God knows. And God knows only his son is just and true and is the one to stand in the gap for all the sins of all of God's people. Jesus is the one, the servant, the high crown prince and the king, our king, 
Jesus is the one that comes, the servant, the son of God, the eternal king, forever sovereign. Let's pray. Almighty God, how incredible to have these words from Paul come down through all these ages on this page to give us the guide to think about the way that we should think about the law, that the law is under the Christian supporting us. It, it is our guide. Heavenly Father, let us understand that in exactly the way it should be understood, that we have a clearer picture of why the law exists and how it is the guide for what we should be. And that all the parables that Jesus had and how the law shines through in all of those things, how the Good Samaritan reaches out and answers the question, who is our neighbor? The Samaritan thought that the victim, the Jewish victim, was his neighbor, and he took care of him. Lord, let us have that same feeling for who our neighbors are. And that this is the evidence by which the world sees but because of the fact that we love you, that this comes out of that. Give us such an understanding, Lord. Bless us. Lord Jesus, we bring glory, honor, and worship to you for having freed us from sin and to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. How incredible and beautiful is that. We love you and praise you. And we bring you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.